in a crude laboratory in the basement of his home. Welcome to the CEO Radar Podcast at your host, John Mayetta. If you like this podcast, leave us a five-star rating at Apple Podcast. Check out CEORadar.com, the only place where customers, investors, and employees may anonymously rate their company or CEO. Wanted to talk about leadership today, or lack thereof. No prepared remarks, off the cuff, spur of the moment, sort of prompted by this omnibus bill. So we have another trillion dollar plus omnibus bill. We've had three trillion dollar plus omnibus bills in the, the past few years. So we're basically going to be running the country at an operating loss in perpetuity, which you can't do. This isn't Wall Street, where you can sort of run at a gap loss, but generate cash and or access the capital markets to supply cash to the balance sheet while you're running at a loss. And it just got me thinking, because it's, it's inexcusable behavior on the part of politicians to effectively raise capital when you're in a deficit. You know, you wouldn't do that in a company. If things weren't going well, if growth had stalled and you were running at a loss, you wouldn't tap the markets to further dilute shareholders, which is what the politicians are doing. They're further diluting the taxpayer because the taxpayer, as you know, supplies the capital to the federal government. And it just got me thinking over the past couple of days, the past few days, that politics aside, there's a, a fundamental lack of leadership in the country, both in politics but also on the corporate side. So let me focus on the corporate side. What have I noticed in my career covering companies, both formally and informally? Well, it's been my observation that most CEOs are out for themselves, meaning if they have a talented bench below them, uh, you know, world be damned, that CEO is going to try to sit in that chair as long as he or she may be able to convince the board to allow them to do so. Even long after they've lost their fastball. Plenty of CEOs out there that should should have been shown the door, either terminated or forced to retire or forced to uh, be bumped upstairs to, to chairman. So self-preservation, it exists everywhere. It exists in the C-suite. What else have I noticed? I've noticed that most board members are along for the ride. Most board members are there to collect the check. They aren't there to keep the CEO in check. That's not to say that they should be starting fistfights with the CEO. I'm not saying that conflict should be the norm, but there should be rigorous discussion around corporate strategy. What's next for the company? Who are we qualifying as people? How's the bench look? What ancillary market should we be thinking about moving into? How are we leveraging AI and machine learning across the company? What are we doing on the cybersecurity front? And these topics, not only should they be covered in board meetings, but they should be ingrained in the operating culture of every company, whether it's a tech company or not. How do we fare against competitors today and who are competitors, who, who could be competitors tomorrow that aren't necessarily competitors today? How do, we, how do we prepare for those new market entrants, particularly if they're upstarts with a whole new approach that maybe we've been hearing a bit of buzz about, or if they are uh, companies much larger than us that can deploy their balance sheet to attack us, which is what you kind of see with Companies like Amazon, Google, Facebook, you know, what Amazon's done in retail recently, uh, grocery retail, what the aforementioned companies are doing in the media space. You know, how do you defend against that? Who should we be thinking about acquiring from an, you know, from an M&A standpoint? 
How can we play offense? How can we play defense by leveraging M&A as a tool? How can we augment the product portfolio we have through, through M&A? Excuse me. So these are the questions that the board and the CEO should be kicking around. The CEO every day. And the board, uh, the, the members should be thinking about these, these subjects so that they can have productive board meetings and actually accomplish things. And every CEO should have a, a, a dynamic relationship with the board where it's not just quarterly meetings, a handful of to-dos that don't really mean anything, that aren't substantive, that aren't material. Boards should be engaged. And if it means you have to pay a little bit more to boards, if you're going to ask more of members, then fine. Pay for performance, pay for value added. Other observations, you have more and more shareholder activism. And I'm not talking so much traditional PE. I think traditional PE does a good job of doing deep dives before they do, before they execute, take private transactions. I'm talking more about public company investors where they'll build a stake, get a board seat, and then try to try to influence operating strategy. And I think that generally is a, a recipe for, for failure. Because with these public companies, I've, I've met, I could probably count them on one hand, and I can't think of any off the top of my head, any public company investors that know the companies they're invested in inside and out. They may have a general understanding of the products. They may have a general understanding of the overarching strategy. But most of them don't know the products, haven't tried the products. If we're talking about, like, say, tech companies as an example, most public company investors don't have a clue as to what their holdings do uh, at a nuanced level. They don't really have an appreciation for the value prop for the product portfolios of the, the holdings in their investment portfolio. So they're not really qualified to have discussions around operating strategy. You know, if you want to take a meaningful stake in a company as a public company investor, get a seat in the board and then you know, communicate to that company that, hey, we want operating margins up. Show us a pathway to get there. That's a fair ask. But if you start to dictate operating strategy around, you know, if you want to play in the sandbox, you got to play in the sandbox full time. Go work for the company. You can't play in the sandbox and sit on the board. So what's my solution to that end? Well, I guess if you're a public company investor, you know, think about your strategy. If your strategy is going to be, hey, we're going to take meaningful positions in companies, get board seats, and try to influence thinking, maybe you pick a sector so that you can actually do a deep dive on some of these companies and, and really, really understand the companies uh, at a very nuanced level. All the bullshit I see around Oh, you need more outside directors on your board. Da, 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 da. You don't have enough independence on the board. Da, 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 da. The pendulum has swung far too, uh, I don't know if it's to the right or to the left, but the pendulum has swung too far with regard to this outsider nonsense. And I've written about this ad nauseum. At Tech Today, I've talked about it on a number of podcasts earlier this the summer of 2017. So why am I not a fan of boards that are so heavily weighted to outsiders? Well, for the most part, because the outsiders don't know shit about the, 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 the company whose board they sit on. They're not qualified to provide advice. Now, there, there may be sort of what I would call horizontal situations where there are certain, certain core principles where they may be able to offer advice around a particular experience. Maybe there's an HR experience. Maybe there's a corporate governance experience to do with CEO succession, let's say. Um, you know, there are sort of horizontal type experiences where board members may be qualified to provide advice. But when you're really when you're talking about the operation, it, it, it pays to have people on the board who know the industry, who really know the industry that you're in. Not that they're gonna know your company better than you, and you shouldn't be asking your board for advice about how to run the day to day, nor should the the board be providing advice as to how you should run your day to day. 
But you could have value-added discussions around some of the strategic issues I talked about earlier a moment ago. Competition, M&A strategy, you know, some of those strategic elements. And they'll be qualified to, to push back, to ask questions, to have a rich discussion if they're familiar with the industry. And it helps if these execs have spent time in the industry. I mean, you could get fairly smart about the industry like I used to, covering a space. Reading 10Ks, reading through websites, reading through industry magazines, calling people, visiting people, getting on planes and going to see other companies. You can ramp up on a space, but it really helps if you've operated in that space. But it was you know knuckleheads like Jeff Sonnenfeld at Yale who pushed for this outsider nonsense back in the early 2000s, as did a whole host of academics. You know, GE was probably the last company that I could think of that really leveraged insiders. And you'd say, oh, well, the problem with insiders is they, they suck up to the CEO. They won't tell the emperor that he, he's not wearing any clothes. Well, the way GE used to do it is much of the senior exec compensation packages were loaded with options. That was the case, anyway, with the, the folks who used to sit on GE's board. And so board members would call Jack Welsh on a strategic move or an operational move, whatever the case may be, if they thought Jack was wrong because their compensation was at risk. So they, they would speak up. If they thought they were going to head down a path that was going to cut the value of their options package in half, they would say, Jack, you know, this, I don't think it makes sense. Here's why. So it, it doesn't mean, look, it doesn't mean that every board member should be an insider, a company insider. I'm not saying that. But the pendulum has swung too far where most boards today, the CEO is the only insider. Everybody else is an outsider. And most of the outsiders are from industries that are completely unrelated. Completely unrelated. And these board members have very little to, to add in terms of productive discussion, in terms of operational rigor. So if you're a public company investor... That's where I'd start. If you want to take a meaningful stake in a company that you own to the point where you could influence the board, get a seat on the board, try to change the makeup of the board. Get more operators on the board. People with industry experience. Help your CEO that way. Help your company that way. As opposed to saying, hey, sell off this product line, buy this product line, get it. stay out of the operation. You're not qualified. That's the fundamental issue. Most of you who are commenting, you're not qualified to comment. Just because you own a stake doesn't mean you know the company. Part of the reason why we have this problem, and I wrote about it a couple days ago at Tech Today, is, is that we, we don't have CEOs that have courage or their convictions. They're managing their businesses to not disappoint Wall Street. So as a result, they become overly conservative. So when you become overly conservative, particularly in technology, my old space, Markets tend to move away from you, not the stock market, but customer markets because you don't invest as you should at the level that you should. You become overly conservative in terms of new product development. You get overly focused on growing operating margins a little bit each quarter, each year, as opposed to just driving the business. If you feel the right thing to do is to take margins down, hold them flat, take them down, whatever the case may be, because there's a, 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 a mission, a new initiative that you really believe in, it's, it's your job as CEO to take that to the street and convince them. 
Tell them why. Whatever that initiative is, that should drive the financials, not the other way around. You can't have the, the tail wagging the dog, which is the case now on Wall Street. Wall Street's managed the quarterly expectations, and companies haven't pushed back enough. This is part of the reason, by the way, why you have fewer companies going out. What are we down to, 4,500 public companies? I think it was 10,000 when I broke into the world of investment management back in the, in the mid-1990s. Now, a lot of that's just M&A, but a lot of it is companies just are staying private a lot longer or they're not going out at all. They'll stay private for 10 years and then get acquired, and you never see them because they don't want to deal with the, the quarterly nonsense. So I would advocate that if, if you're a public company CEO and you have long-term initiatives you feel strongly about, you have a 24-month, a, a let's say, project where you're going to roll out some new product offering, new service offering, whatever the case may be. And as I said a moment ago, let's say it's going to, as a result, you're not going to be able to show operating margin expansion or it's even going to be dilutive to margins. Talk about this six months a year in advance with the street. You'll take a little pain then as far as the stock price, but at least you'll get people conditioned to, to this initiative. You're not springing it on them. Yeah, if you, if you want to be great, if you want to create a, a, a growth company, something that's going to be around for the next 100 years, every now and again, bold steps are required. And when you want to pursue a bold initiative, your best bet, my best advice, would be to communicate that bold initiative well in advance to investors. Do it two or three quarters out. Don't wait until the earnings call where you, you know, you know don't wait for the earnings call where you would say to the street, hey, we've begun investing in X, or next week we're going to kick off investment in X. You've got to prep the street. If you prep them, you'll be in good shape, especially important for your largest shareholders. Not as important, but also important for the, the sell-side covers that you have, particularly the the analysts or analysts that drive most of the attention in your stock from a sell-side standpoint. Get them all familiar with it. Have an analyst day so you can have their unfettered attention for eight hours. Be proactive. Demonstrate leadership. Grab the bull by the horns. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just wait for the quarterly call. Own your communication with investors. Own your communication with the sell-side analyst community. Get more out of your board members. I just feel like fundamentally everybody's getting paid and most everyone's doing the bare minimum from the C-suite to boardroom on down. You ask more of your people, ask more of your board. Ask more of your investors. You want to avoid an, an anxious, conflict-ridden relationship with some of your largest investors? proactively get their opinion. Say, how do you think we're doing on the governance side? What are your suggestions? And then you can agree or disagree with them. But make them feel wanted. Hey, what are some of the best practices you see other companies doing? Make your investors work for you. Most of them are, are smart people. And if they're passionate about what you're doing, I imagine they'll have some good ideas. What did Steve Jobs used to say? If, if you push in on life in, in one spot somewhere else, it, it pops out the other side, meaning you can influence things. So take that advice if you're a CEO or a board member. 
see you all next time. When you grow up, you tend to get told that the world is the way it is, and your your life is just to live your life inside the world. Try not to bash into the walls too much. Uh, uh, try to have a nice family life. Uh, have fun. Save a little money. Um, but life, that, that's a very limited life. Life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact, and that is everything around you that you call life was made up by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence it. You can, you can build your own things that other people can use. And the minute that you understand that you can poke life and actually something will, you know, if you push in, something will pop out the other side, that you can, you can change it, you can mold it, um, that's maybe the most important thing, is to shake off this, uh, this uh, erroneous notion that life is, is there and you're just going to live in it, versus embrace it, change it, improve it, make your mark upon it. Um, I, I think that's very important. And however you learn that, once you learn it, uh, you'll want to change life and make it better because it's kind of messed up in a lot of ways. Um, once you learn that, you'll never be the same again.